This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the show, leading in the 21st century. A broadcast with me, your host, Mark Nichols. Are you listening live or through a podcast? You are in for a treat today. Friday the 3rd of February. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, uh, the show leading in the 21st century with your host, Mark Nichols. You Apologies for that. Um, where we will be exploring the latest trends and advancements in education. This evening, we will be delving into the world, the exciting world of artificial intelligence, uh, following on from the show from last week, and we will be reviewing its impact on the classroom. From personalised learning, bridging the skills gap, to ethical considerations, we will discuss the many ways AI is shaping the future of education today. So sit back, grab your coffee, and join us as we explore this cutting-edge topic and learn how we can prepare for the AI revolution in education. Let's get started. Now, um, as of last week, we finished on the words of a famous science fiction writer, William Gibson, um, you know, one of my most favourite writers of the sci-fi genre, the guy that coined the term cyberspace. Um, the quotation upon which we had left on was that the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, you know, these words were, were, were cited in 2003 by Gibson. And his, you know, his meaning of these words, perhaps we're taking them out of context here. Uh, but my understanding of them is that, you know, he was well astute, well aware that the future is indeed already here around us. And this is plainly in sight today, as you will uh, experience as we go through um, this evening's show. You know, what Gibson is referring to is that the future technologies, perhaps, that we see and we might, might look at as something that is quite novel and quite new, actually has been in existence for some time. Um, it's just the distribution of such technologies um, are not necessarily always in the limelight. For example, if we look at the chatbots that seem to have taken centre stage within ed education today. Now, these chatbots have been in existence for some time. It is only more recently that the education sector has suddenly woken up um, to the concept of chatbots, knowing um, that uh, knowing the impact that they can have on the sector. So now we have this distribution of chat GPT across the sector and it is, uh, it is brought, to, brought to life. Um, again, I'm just going to kind of reiterate to you uh, the, the, the purpose of this show. 
Um, you know, it's a two two part series that I want to explore the concept of artificial intelligence with yourselves and to discuss its relevance to the education sector within the 21st century. You know, that is what we will be doing within this show. So please, if you have any comments, if you have anything to contribute, do not hesitate to call in or just leave a message on the chat on Podbean Live. Um, we'll also, as a second objective, assess perhaps how these issues can affect the teaching and learning within educational institutions. And that's a focus what we are going to be covering um, within the second segment of this particular show. Um, specifically, we will be uh, going ahead into time. Last week, we time travelled backwards to ancient Greece. Well, we're going to be moving forward in time this evening to 2050, looking at what the future classroom might look like um, within our sector. Uh, and thirdly, we will be identifying which type of leader is best suited uh, in dealing with the issues as we progress into the century. Specifically, we will be looking at some leadership theory, um, uh, in particular looking at the concept of scenario development or scenario planning. Um, but before we get started, I just want to make clear to you, my listeners, um, that there is a clear paradigm shift taking place. And a question that I asked last week was, you know, what is enabling this revolution? Um, so it's a bit of a, a, a test for you there. If you can recall any of the answers um, or even uh, e even if you can recall anything that you consider to be causing this revolution that seems to be happening around us today. You know, some argue, some believe that this rise of artificial intelligence is the fourth industrial or fourth technological revolution that will completely change the way that we live our lives. The evolution of machine learning systems is number one. The capturing of big data is number two. The development of tacit implicit knowledge that is hard to describe, let alone understand, um, is number three. And by that third one, in terms of how it's driving this artificial intelligence and this this revolution to take place, the development of tacit and implicit knowledge, what we're talking about here is our understanding as to how the human brain works. Um, in this respect, we're talking, you know, in terms of neuroscience, the advancements within this field of study have allowed us to understand more astutely as to how our human brain works. And then once we have this knowledge, we can then model systems that can replicate and model that intelligence. As we spoke about last week, artificial intelligence is that modeling of biological intelligence. So the more we understand how the human brain works, the better and more equipped artificial intelligence will be as we go forward into the future. But also we've got the capturing of big data that's allowing artificial intelligence to exist today. And we spoke about those huge vats of data that could be processed by a machine, you know, outside of the human skull. You know, we are data processing machines ourselves. We are highly attuned um, to walk around on this planet, constantly picking up and receiving vast amounts of data. But in terms of big data, um, we are becoming more and more reliant on machines to, to capture this. In some cases, data that we cannot even perceive, that is beyond the biological senses of the human being. And finally, it's the evolution of machine learning systems. You know, we're seeing these left, right and centre. If you were to log on to any social media platform and follow any machine learning groups, you will be scared, perhaps, of the advancements that seem to be taking place here. Systems that can 
learn how to um, play some of the most complex uh, uh, tabletop um, board games, even um, video games, um, systems that are able to track and 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 keep an, uh, keep uh, track your visuals at an, in live time. Um, you know, very very scary stuff. Um, but m- moving on. As we go for this show, we've got several parts. Our first part, I just want to introduce you to what is happening within this world today. So going back to Gibson's quote that the, you know, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. Well, I want to kind of give you a sense as to how it isn't evenly distributed when we look at the different sectors uh, within the working world. So we will look at very um, different sectors you know for example healthcare and how ai has already been utilized there but also looking at how artificial intelligence is being utilized across the globe but perhaps not necessarily in the uk obviously where most of my listeners will be um, hopefully tuned in and and listening so we are looking at different sectors and looking at this future now as it stands and then once we have an understanding of other sectors and how they are utilizing this technology, we will then draw that question onto education. You know, how are we using um, artificial intelligence within education if we are using it at all? Um, and to do this, we will be looking at that scenario development um, theory um, and we will kind of delve into that uh, just ever so slightly, just so that we have a clear concept that will be in the second segment of the show. Um, and from this, we will then, you know, transplant ourselves, you know, 50 years into the future, let's say, or into 2050, 30 years into the future, um, and kind of visualize what the future classroom might look like. And it will sound like science fiction to you, my listeners. Um, and I do not apologize for that, because if it didn't sound like science fiction, then I wouldn't be giving you a true a truthful or possible accurate account as to what it could look like. You know, if we were to ask teachers of 20 years ago as to whether they would be having like video phone calls, teaching students online from their homes, they would have thought we were bonkers. Um, But hey ho, let's get on with the show. So healthcare, um, that's the first sector upon which we will be exploring. Now, artificial intelligence is being utilised within this um, section uh, you know across the globe and some of the stuff is so so cool i cannot stress that enough to you um we've got ibm watson if you remember watson he was one of the ai systems developed by ibm um that could read vast amounts of data and could teach itself to play um some of the most complex board games out there and you know it, it did go on to win i think it was jeopardy i think watson um had done uh, had, had won um now Watson is being utilised not for playing, you know, board games, but actually being utilised within the healthcare system where vast amounts of patient data could be read. And this allows um, hospitals, etc., to be better equipped and quicker to select healthcare treatment plans for patients coming into the hospital. So essentially, Watson has become this artificial GP, um, not necessarily dealing with the humans, but most certainly fast tracking them through the system. Um, the systems within hospitals, again, and within healthcare can read vast amounts of data and progress research in the field of medicine. Just consider how quickly we discovered a vaccine for COVID-19. You know, did humans do this alone or were there machine learning systems in place that could have supported um, this research? But there are other drugs across the world that are researched and trialed making use of machine learning and AI software. Um, The thing that I find most interesting in healthcare, and this does sound like science fiction, but I promise you it is fact, not science fiction. Um, The most recent research from the 
Massachusetts, Massachusetts Institute of Technology um, it has developed a healthcare monitoring system that picks up the faintest of data that humans would consider white noise. Um, we're talking like the beating of a heartbeat. Um, we're talking breathing patterns. Um, you know, your internal temperature at different parts of your body, heat signatures, you know, all of this data that we are emitting as, as a species um, that we can't detect through our own biological sensory organs, um, but can be detected by highly specific technologies um, that are dotted around um, specific rooms or hospitals. Now, this research has led to a company being formed. Um, the CEO of the company actually works within um, healthcare, um, but also is uh, is a, a you know a machine learning scientist as well. Um, it's emeraldino.com if you're interested. Uh, and Emeraldino is an AI um, where one of the lead researchers, uh, Professor Dina Katabi, um, has created to pick up on these really you know specific points of data. Uh, if 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 it helps, and this is Katabi's words herself, you know, the inspiration for this technology comes from, you know, the science fiction film Star Wars. Uh, she refers to it as the force, as it were, because when a patient walks into a hospital room that is equipped with these technologies that can read that data, the artificial intelligence, Elmeraldino, can assess that patient in live time and diagnose any ailments or conditions even before symptoms have made themselves known. And I'll just repeat that to you. A diagnosis by AI before any symptoms are known. And this is just reading the data when a patient walks into a room. That is absolutely amazing. Of course, we will talk about you know the issues of data and perhaps how much data we are given into these systems but within this hospital you know i think this was trialed with covid patients you know even before covid patients had started to display uh, symptoms they were picked up by this ai system and identified as someone carrying covid19 even before so you know that's just you know some of the examples of how healthcare are utilizing ai um today let's move on to our next sector though because i don't want to spend too long talking about these sectors because you know we want to get to the juicy stuff in education um we've got retail and e-commerce you know many of you probably do shop online i know i certainly do um you know we don't need to be you know fools to think that ai isn't being used within e-commerce because we have those chatbots already being used when we are talking to those uh, or you know talking to the um retailer um, through their online chat function, you know, something that I would consider, you know, uh, ask you all to do as listeners, you know, when you're talking to a chatbot, just ask if that chatbot is human, and it will either give you a yes or a no, you know, I like to do that and just, you know, just make sure I've got that human connection there. But it's something to, to consider as you are shopping online. Uh, we also have continuous collection of user data to predict and suggest best options to buy. We're thinking about those, you know, Amazon algorithms, you know, you go online and start searching for holidays, in Tunisia, let's say, um, within moments, you'll have a stream of adverts flooding your email inbox or on your social media um, platforms, advertising such holidays. Um, you know, we've all fallen foul of these algorithms. That is machine learning. That is a form of artificial intelligence. Um, more interestingly, we have AI that is spearheading the way that we shop also. Systems being developed that will take your personal data, as in your body shape, your size, your color, 
and place you as a digital avatar that you can then use to try on clothes. That's spooky. You know, I love the idea because I hate, you know, clothes shopping. But just imagine that you could have your digital avatar that you can dress up in the clothes that you want and have them tailor made for you. Obviously, that's being trialed. That's, that's not a given, but that's something to, to, to look out for for the future. Uh, we've got food, agriculture and the horticultural society. Now, I uh, society uh, sectors, you know, I absolutely love um, this sector. I used to work for a land based college, um, not teaching land based. I would just uh, I hasten to add. Um, and something that I was amazed with constantly was the the way in which the land-based college would teach their agricultural students and their horticultural students. You know, I always thought and assumed that students would be taught to go into greenhouses, taught how to grow tomatoes, how to kind of till their crops, etc. You know, a very old-fashioned way of farming. But no, it wasn't. They had cutting-edge technology and hub systems set up where they were tracking, again, vast amounts of data and tending their crops, tending their fields, through technology you know the farmer of the 21st century needs to be well versed in the digital language as much as they do in that natural kind of way of of of, of, of the style of the land um we've also got mcdonald's you know we all know what you know mcdonald's is and currently they are investing in an ai system that can sort organize and flip burgers far better than humans we're talking hundreds of burgers you know within minutes um just imagine what that is going to do to the workforce, the current workforce of young part-time students um, that rely on McDonald's as that part-time earning. You know, many of those jobs are going to be lost perhaps to the flipping AI. Um, who knows what this will call? Maybe they will call it Ronald. Who knows? Um, we've got, as I said, the smart farms, greenhouses, which will yield higher crops. Banking and finance as a next sector. We've got systems being introduced that process loans applications far quicker than bank managers of old. You know, that's already happening. You know, you could apply for a mortgage and a loan. The human connection, that human level was already gone. Like I remember when applying for my mortgage, I had some advice from a very old head teacher of mine that had said, oh, yeah, don't you sit down in the bank office and have a glass of sherry with your bank manager? I just looked at him with bewilderment and thought, I don't think I've ever met my bank manager. And I've never celebrated having, you know, a glass of sherry over uh, the, the, the taking out of a mortgage. You know, it's all done online and it's done fairly quickly and efficiently so that we can streamline um, buyers uh, to, to, to get to their properties far quicker. Um, we're talking streamlining here, investment decisions, you know, AI that's aiding the stock market. You know, we had the flash crash, wasn't it, in the, I can't remember the exact date of it. But the flash crash that happened where the world's stock markets had crashed within seconds and then moments later it was brought back up and nobody could explain as to how this happened. But the algorithms that sat behind it kind of knew how to handle the situation. So that was beyond our understanding. Uh, we're tailoring personalised insurance plans to, to the user as well with AI and fraud detection services. Um, and there's lots of investment into AI technologies there. Uh, logistics and transportation. We've got optimizing routes, travel times uh, at global level. So those systems of, tra you know, trading across the world and, and delivering goods across the world. Uh, we have systems that are better organized uh, warehouses. And I want you to think about Amazon's global reach and spread of warehouse delivery vans, etc. You know, eventually the self-driving vehicles or even drones that will be able to deliver goods for Amazon. This is scary stuff, but the world in which our students will grow into are growing into a workforce that is largely going to be supplemented by AI systems. 
Um, you know, my wife works in the private sector. Um, I can't go into the details of her job for, for, for the nature of it. Um, but she's explained to me on many occasions on traveling to European factories as opposed to looking in the British factories. And again, I'm talking about the distribution of technology here, the distribution of AI. Um, she sometimes comes home and tells me that she's like walking into a future world when she goes into these German or French or Italian factories and sees robots driving around and, you know, the workforce largely replaced by these mechanoids. Um, and then she comes home to sunny Britain to find, you know, in her warehouse, you know, scores of young uh, people you know, working and, and, you know, toiling with the day's job, you know, in terms of efficiency, AI does seem to be the way that most of these um, companies are going. And, you know, I've mentioned self-driving vehicles there as well, but on a personal level for me, Google Maps, the algorithms there help me get to where I want to get to far quicker than my um, copy of the map in the glove compartment. Travel and tourism, our next sector, you've got AI chatbots again to cater for the increase in demand helping to improve customer services. We've got predictive analytics that will bolster and help capitalize on currency exchange rates. Um, and we've got the breaking down of languages through translation bots. Now, this is always a controversial matter. You know, you can imagine, you know, I have quite a few, a few views on um, technology, what the 21st century looks like. And I absolutely love toying with the modern foreign languages departments. You know, all it takes is to throw one little like um, word bomb, as it were, into the department, say, oh, is there any need for MFL anymore when we've got Google Translate and other AI that will soon just replicate languages and speak these as fluently as I can within seconds. And quite often, you know, I'm reprimanded and and sent packing out of the MFL department's offices. Um, but I say this in jest because I absolutely do value what MFL departments bring to schools. It's not just about learning the language and speaking it. It's about, um, you know, developing a mindset. It's about developing the way that the human brain thinks and operates. And modern foreign languages is a key to unlocking, you know, huge potential, not just in speaking the language, but looking at things from a different perspective and that I feel we can bring to subjects like English for example um, so I'm not saying MFL isn't needed it is but in the future there will be translation bots there you know think of the babble fish from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy if anyone's read that that is here I am talking to you about all these science fiction novels that I absolutely relish. Anyway, we've got real estate, um, uh, supporting buyers and sellers, finding the perfect match for their new homes. We've, again, we've got chatbots that improves customer service. You know, those language recognition chatbots like OpenGPT, um, you know, the customer says, I am looking to buy a house, blah, 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 here. The chatbot, if it is, you know, has the right data entered into it, boom, the buyer is going to find that, um, th that particular house far quicker or deal with the customer complaint far quicker than, um, than, than in the past. I've already spoken about logistics and, manuf uh, and alluded to manufacturing there, but we've said about AI improving efficiency, predicting maintenance concerns, and again, we've got collaborating with robots. You know, this phrase cobots uh, seems to be in vogue at the moment. Um, a personal one for me is gaming and entertainment. Um, very few people know this, but in video games, um, you know, Gamers and, and game designers were the early innovators of AI technology. Um, they are, you know, they used AI systems, very simple ones, to be to be perfectly honest, in games, and they called these NPCs or non-playable characters. It's the characters that wander around and they respond to the world. They respond to 
the player in the game um, following a set uh, string of code. Um, but as gaming develops and as gaming becomes more advanced, the AI systems within them only make more and more advanced NPCs to the point where one day perhaps they are going to be believable characters. But here's a question for you. How do we know that we aren't NPCs ourselves in some vast video game that's been generated by some bored teenager up there in the clouds? Now, that is a thought, isn't it? Because we could be NPCs. And I think there's lots of theory out there. Perhaps that's the title of another show. But um, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not going to uh, go into too much detail there. I can see uh, we've got some else joining the show here. We're just talking about, you know, the nature of reality. And perhaps actually we are um, just NPCs within a video game. We'll never know, to be perfectly honest, because if we were to know, that we'd be coded to know. But anyway, that's beyond the point. We're just talking about AI in um, different sectors across the world. Uh, so we've got entertainment streaming services like Netflix, etc. They make sure uh, make use of machine learning. You know, a lot of the content that's advertised to us typically comes <laughs> from the uh, the content that we are watching. So we kind of fall into that echo chamber of watching what it is that we want to watch. And it's kind of being dictated to us through um, the the uh, the AI systems themselves. Um, and we also have the enhancement of digital effects, deep fakes. And this is within the entertainment industries. You know, we all are familiar with the photoshopping of, you know, uh, models, for etc., to be placed onto uh, magazines and onto adverts, etc. Well, deep fakes, you know, this is, you know, something of serious concern because especially within education, you could have uh, fairly savvy teenagers, let's say, that could create fairly harmful content um, that makes use of, uh, you know, individuals' faces. They could, you know, create a deep fake of a teacher doing something incredibly wrong, for example, and share that content online. Um, and that could be incredibly damaging. So that is a serious, serious um area that you know educationalists should be worried about i would say and perhaps this will be on um you know uh, safeguarding uh, red, uh, safeguarding pastoral cpd sessions in the future i would imagine so you know i've given you a whistle stop tour there you know i'd love to go into more detail and and break down those different sectors and their use of ai for you um but the show isn't about how ai is being used in other sectors the show is about ai in education now, I've given you some examples of where this artificial intelligence is being used throughout the world, throughout different sectors. But the question remains, how are we as educationalists um, preparing you know, our sector for the adoption, the assimilation of artificial intelligence? Now, to answer this question, we will turn to a piece of leadership theory, which I mentioned in the introduction, known as scenario development or scenario planning. And scenario planning comes from, you know, is commonly attributed to, uh, you know, a lead thinker of the time, Herman Kahn, um, you know, from the 1950s. He was an American that worked for the US government. Um, but we will look into Kahn's story just after the break. OK, we're going to have a break now. I'm going to grab myself a cup of tea. If you're listening, do make yourself a cup of tea. We've got 10 minutes listening to the news or so. And then we're going to come back and we're going to look into scenario planning, you know, planning for uncertainty. And then we're going to move, you know, 30 years in the future. I'm going to time travel, time travel with you. So here's the news. 
This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has addressed school leaders at the Church of England National Education Conference. In a speech that recognised the achievements of Church of England schools and of teachers and leaders in schools across the country, she defined education as something that lets you do things you couldn't beforehand. She also reflected on her own experiences of being educated in a faith school, although it was a different denomination, Catholic. She spoke about the importance of a faith which is still a core part of who I am, and recognised the work of faith schools, particularly Anglican schools, and the role they play in educating young people. She described the Church of England as one of my department's most valued partners, as the largest provider of academy trusts. Ms Keegan went on to say that her department would protect the schools so that when they became academies, they retained the statutory freedoms and protections that apply to church schools. She also used the speech to comment on standards and said, I agree with the Prime Minister on maths to 18, and praised a former teacher of hers, Mr Ashcroft, who helped her realise my one opportunity. The speech was not without reference to planned industrial action by teachers in the National Education Union, when she commented that for teachers to have an impact, they need to be in school, and stated that we will be funding schools in real terms at the highest level in history. The speech closed with a statement that her door is always open, but asks that you now work with me to keep as many children in schools as possible during the disruptive strike action. Ms Keegan ended with a focus on collaboration to make sure our education system flourishes for all children. Half of state schools in England and Wales will close on Wednesday as a result of the planned industrial action, according to reports in many media outlets. The action by NEU coincides with that being taken by civil servants, university staff and train drivers. While schools may close, many will remain open to pupils identified as vulnerable or at risk, as well as some schools offering places to the children of critical workers. The latest data from the Higher Education Statistics Agency shows that the number of EU students choosing to study in the UK has dropped by half since the UK left the EU. Enrolments by EU nationals dropped by 53%, from around 64,000 to 31,000 between 2020 and 2022. Whilst the number of non-EU nationals did increase at the same time period, the data shows that the UK universities still faced significant shortfalls. The exit from the EU and the changing international fee policy saw EU student fees rise from around £9,000 to as high as 38,000. The decline has been particularly sharp in student numbers from Italy, Germany and France. Similar falls have been seen in Scotland with many mourning the demise of the EU's Erasmus scheme, as well as the loss of diversity brought to courses by students from the EU. 
Universities UK said the changes in numbers had dented the finances of some universities and impoverished campus life. The HuffPost featured an article focusing on new data which shows that 87% of teenagers want better and more inclusive sex education. The survey by student discount app Student Beans found that 39% did not feel represented in the sex education they received. 27% of girls surveyed admitted they did not feel comfortable setting and communicating boundaries with a partner, compared to 23% of male respondents. 89% of all respondents said they did not see LGBTQIA themes in the teaching. With Generation Z having the highest percentage of non-straight people, almost double that of millennials, perhaps it's time for another review. Finally, Schools Week focuses on Ofsted's announcement on how it will conduct thematic reviews of alternative provision. Visits will take place in the spring and summer terms, with a national report out in the autumn. The visits will not result in judgments and the report will not identify local areas specifically, although they will be listed separately. There will be a focus on how AP supports children to stay in mainstream and full details are available on the Schools Week website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about GDPR, an acronym that has bounded around and caused quite a stir when it was first introduced back in 2018. GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation and it's governed by the ICO, which is the Information Controller's Office, an independent body set up by the government to uphold information rights. Ah, thanks Steve, that's crystal clear now, I hear you say. What does it mean? to the general classroom teacher. Well, your school will have a policy, which you will have signed somewhere to say you've read it. If you haven't, it might be worth taking a look. In it, there'll be an outline of measures to protect data and usually a process of investigation in the event of a data breach. A data breach in a school is when personal data is compromised and a person can be identified, for example, first name and last name. In a school, Breaches can be as serious as the introduction of ransomware where data is locked by a cyber attack or as simple as the wrong letter being sent to the wrong carers. Now the question is how do we protect ourselves? First, if you're still wandering around with the USB pen hanging off your lanyard, make sure it's encrypted. There is lots of free encryption software around. If you can, migrate your data into the school's cloud. This puts the onus back on the school to keep the data safe. It's also backed up regularly. I know what you'll say next. If I'm in the cloud and the internet goes down, I can't get my planning. Yes, you're correct, but your school laptop will be encrypted so you can save current files locally to enable working offline. If you have a machine with a small memory like a Chromebook, sync what you need and leave the rest in the cloud. With the top ads on a search for school data breach, all reading claim around £10,000 today. Obviously, no win, no fee. Do you want to cost your school that much money? I'll leave you with this. If you take a digital register and display it while you take it, could it be classed as a data breach. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to the show. Thank you if you are still with us and you are still listening. And thank you if you return back to the podcast and you are listening at home. Um, we are talking about leading in the 21st century. 
Um, and specifically, we are looking at artificial intelligence and its role within education, exploring the impacts of this cutting edge technology that will shape the future of our world. Um, before I do begin with this next segment, I do need to put a shout out for one of the best colleagues I've ever worked with um, in the sector. Um, it's none other than Buzz, the school dog from one of my old schools, HRCS. Hello, Buzz, if you are listening. Um, it's great to, to to hear you obviously reaching in and talking to us. So, you know, hats off to you, Buzz. You're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Anyway, let's get back to the segment at hand. So we are moving on to talk about Herman Kahn um, and the roots of scenario planning. You know, we're going to trace the origins to Herman Kahn, that is, because scenario planning, you know, it's not it's, it's nothing that is necessarily new to our species. You know, we've always looked ahead and planned scenarios. Uh, but Herman Kahn, you know, gives it its name and applies it to leadership theory and leadership strategy. Um, now, in this segment, as I said, we're going to dive into the history of scenario development and we're going to explore the role that Herman Kahn played in shaping the field. We'll learn about Kahn's work at the RAND Corporation and his formation of the Hudson Foundation and how these events helped lay the foundation for modern uh, for the modern approach to scenario planning. We'll also discuss how Khan's ideas and methods continue to influence the way that organisations and governments across the world think about the future. So stay tuned with me and let's discover the man behind one of the most important concepts in futurism. And just so you know, this won't take long. I'm then going to transplant you into the year 2050 using um, Khan's scenario planning as a, as a framework to do so. Now, Herman Kahn was a visionary in the field of scenario development. He understood that in order to prepare for the future, it was important to consider multiple potential outcomes and plan accordingly. This was especially true for the US government, and so he developed scenario planning techniques during his time at the RAND Corporation. Now, this is a government corporation that was set up during the era of the Cold War. And just so you know, it was especially true for the US government during this time because you had the threat of nuclear war looming over. And it was through Khan's kind of um, scenario planning that helped the American government plan and basically prepare for these futures unseen. And we were talking a very turbulent and very tense time that he was operating at. So these scenario plans were always there in case the worst could happen. Not that it would happen, but in case the worst did. And that's that's an important um, fact to consider there. Now, these techniques have been uh, ha have since been adopted by businesses and governments and organisations all over the world to help them plan for the future, as we just mentioned there. So Initially, it was used in retaliation to the threat of war, a military um, application. But since then, as we do live, although it might not seem like it, we do live in relatively peaceful times. You know, the scenario planning has been taken out of business and governments and organisations. And that's actually quite an interesting thing because strategy itself has always been a military concept. You know, look at Sal's Art of War. You know, he speaks of strategy being at the centre of successful um, generals' um, um, arsenal. Um, it's just interesting how many of our concepts of leadership stem from conflict. Um, I find it interesting anyway. Now, in the 1960s, uh, apologies to just ramble there, uh, Khan went on to establish the Hudson Foundation. And this is a foundation that you know supports many people with their projects and their, their project planning, etc. It's, it's something that you can sign up to and look into if you really wish to. Uh, and he continued to develop his ideas 
at the foundation, uh, especially towards scenario planning. And he shared them with the world. You know, he wanted his work to be out there and his work has been highly influential in, and the scenario planning is now an established tool for futurists, for policy makers and for strategic strategic planners. I think you know where I'm going in terms of this leadership theory now. You know, when it comes to leadership inside of education, I think, in fact, when it comes to leadership in any um, sector, you know, you have to have a strategy in place. If you don't, then how do you know where it is that your company is going? You've got to prepare yourselves for the future because the future is not necessarily um, as straightforward. You know, if there's one thing that we can rely on in the 21st century, it is that the future is uncertain. You know, one thing that we can be certain of is uncertainty. The future is going to change and it will probably change fairly rapidly. So the best thing to do for us is to be prepared for those changes so that when they do hit us, they aren't going to hit us hard. Um, Anyway, through his work, Khan showed us that the future is not set in stone and that we have the power to shape it by considering different potential outcomes and making those plans accordingly. Today, scenario development remains uh, development. Scenario planning remains an important tool for anyone that's looking to understand the future and to prepare for what's to come. And like I said, I'm going to reply this for you, at least with one scenario in today's show. Khan's concept of scenario planning involves imagining and analysing multiple potential futures in order to make informed decisions in the present. In the context of artificial intelligence in education, Scenario planning can help us consider the different ways that AI might impact the field, both positive and negative, and it will help us plan accordingly. By looking at a range of possible futures, we can ensure that we are prepared for a variety of outcomes and that we are making choices that align with our values and goals. And I just want to take you back to what Plato, you know, the guest that we had last week when we travelled back to ancient Greece, or I say travelled back, he travelled forward in time to meet us. You know, he mentioned that AI is a pharmacon. A pharmacon, you know, translates to a drug that is both the remedy and the poison at the same time. And the warning that Plato gave us is that we had better be sure that we want to know what to do with this new technology before we utilise it, because we do not know necessarily what the the drawbacks of using such technology are. So it's very important for us in, in terms of Khan's scenario planning to look ahead and start planning for these possible futures. You know, in this way, Khan's approach, it provides us a framework for responsible and effective deployment of AI in education in an ethically sound way, in a morally sound, in a moral, in a way that uh, aligns with our moral values. Um, You know, so that's, that's, you know, I'm really stressing how important it is to apply some strategic foresight to um, the concept of AI rather than, as you're seeing online today, just this reaction to the AI as it infiltrates into the society, into the sector. Now, the future of education, we know, is rapidly changing, Um, although sometimes it does feel like it's stuck in the uh, 19th century in the Victorian era. Um, But it is changing and the impact of AI is already being felt, you know, as we've seen with ChatGPT and this concept of the uh, language reading software that can easily write essays, homework um, and, and produce that that text for us. Now, as we look towards the next generation of learners and the generation after, etc., it's imperative that we take proactive steps to shape this future in a positive and ethical manner. 
you know, think about what it is that we want to do with this um, technology before we actually do anything with it. And this is why I implore you to take seriously the concept of AI scenario planning. And I'm speaking to all teachers out there. In fact, I'm speaking to anyone that is listening, you know, join in the debate, join in the discussion, because artificial intelligence is here to stay. This is not a novel technology that will come and go. It's not a novel technology that is being sold to us by the tech companies out there. Artificial intelligence is a revolution. It's that paradigm shift. You know, we are entering a new age. And if we do not engage with the conversation, if we do not engage with the debate, then we fall foul of allowing this technology to run away and, you know, perhaps escape the ethical code that we might necessarily need to place it down to. You know, it might broaden the um, discrepancies. It might broaden um, the uh, the the distance between our ethic, uh, our, our moral code. Anyway, it's not sim- it's not enough to simply adopt AI in the sector and just hope for the best. You know, we can't just you know as a new piece of tech comes out and just adopt it and just say yeah, yeah let's let's see how this works. You know, we have to actively consider the potential outcomes and consequences of this integration. You know, will AI enhance the learning experience for students? Or is it going to undermine the very foundations of education? Two very important questions. You know, will it increase access to education for all? Or will it further and widen the equity gap? You know, these are just a few of the questions we must ask um, as we consider the role of AI in education. Um, Now, the time to act is now. You know, the future of education and the next generation of learners depend on our ability to plan and prepare for the impact of AI. And I urge you, you know, to take this matter seriously, to embrace the power of scenario planning to shape a positive and ethical future for education, whether that be, you know, strategic planning, whether that be scenario planning, whether that be just considering the policies that you are creating for your schools or educational institutions. I think I've said my piece there. You know, we've looked at Herman Kahn. We've looked at the concept of scenario planning, which is this painting of multiple visions, multiple scenarios to help us reflect on how we might navigate this difficult landscape. The one thing I need to do is perhaps share with you a potential scenario that I have written to share with you what education might look like in the future. Now, I hasten to add, This is but one scenario, okay? What I should have done was write several scenarios and share all of them with you and then draw out the questions that we have for this. Um, But for the sake of time and for the sake of the show, you don't want to just listen to these multiple scenarios. You know, I'm just going to give you one. Um, It might come across slightly dystopian. And as I said, it most certainly will sound like science fiction. But I want it to sound like science fiction because if it didn't sound like science fiction, then... I don't think it's going to be a future that is going to happen anyway. So, you know, it's better to have, you know, a a future that is kind of out there because then we can then deal with the questions that kind of arise from it. Now, if you're listening, sit back, grab yourself a drink, take a moment to breathe, fall back into your chair. Just think, 30 years time, how old are you going to be? Will you be retired? Will you be still in education? Will you be teaching, leading? Perhaps you've got children. Perhaps they will be attending secondary school for the first time. Perhaps they'll be studying at college. Who knows? 
But I just want you to imagine that we are transporting ourselves to 2050, imagining the future of learning. The year is 2050 and the world as we know it has changed dramatically. Artificial intelligence has made significant inroads into all areas of life, including education. As a result, the experience of a secondary school student has become vastly different from what it was from just a few decades ago. In this future world, students arrive at school each morning and make their way to their form room. They're greeted by their human teacher, who is assisted by an AI system known as, uh, let's call it playtime. The teacher greets the students and begins the day's lessons. Each student wears a device that allows Plato to monitor their physical and emotional state, including breathing patterns and heart rate. Plato can read the data from each student through a combination of different technologies dotted about the school building, including cameras, heat sensors and even microphones that can detect the sounds beyond the biological realms of human hearing. These sensors are designed to pick up the slightest changes in the student's physical and emotional states, such as breathing patterns and heart rate. The data collected by these sensors is then analysed in real time by Plato, which uses advanced algorithms to process the information and make predictions about the student's engagement levels. If Plato detects that the students are becoming restless or disinterested, The device alerts the teacher, who can then adjust the lesson to keep the students engaged and on track. This allows the teacher to deliver lessons in the most engaging and effective way possible, maximising student learning and ensuring that each student gets the individualised attention and support that they need to succeed. The first lesson of the day is mathematics, and the students are tasked with solving complex problems and equations. Of course, Plato can complete these equations in microseconds, but it's deemed important that humans have some grasp over this universal language. So the teacher provides guidance and support, but the students are encouraged to work independently and to use Plato's help when needed. The AI system provides instant feedback and personalised suggestions, allowing the students to make rapid progress in their understanding of the mathematical problems they study. The next lesson is English, and the students are asked to write essays, analysing 20th century literature. The teacher uses Plato's data to understand each student's strengths and weaknesses and provides individualised feedback again to help improve on their most recent submissions. The students can also use Plato to receive additional resources and support, using the most advanced chatbot of the day to engage in real-time conversation with characters, authors and previous critics of the age. All while this occurs, the teacher manages several students that have fallen behind with their studies due to a variety of pastoral concerns. The human level interaction and engagement was prompted by Plato after careful examination of student attendance data and recent test scores. During break time, Plato noted that Alex, a non-binary student in year 10, hasn't consumed food from the canteen for the third day in a row. Further readings suggest that there was a steady decrease in blood sugar levels during the last lesson, 
and coupled with a low score in performance in multiple classes this week, indicates that Alex is suffering on on a social or emotional level. Plato doesn't give the head of year a full synopsis of this data, but merely suggests that this student is in need of a chat. A cup of tea, possibly. The head of year meets up with Alex to discuss their personal growth and development. The head of year then uses Plato's insights to identify areas where Alex may need some extra support and develops a personalised plan to help them achieve their goals. After break, the class moves on to physical education, where they participate in team sports and physical activities on the school field. The PE teacher had previously activated the live-action capturing sensor drones, and while students complete in said activities, Plato is used to track students' speed, heart rate, and progress in order to provide feedback and encouragement to help them improve further. The students work together and have fun, building strong bonds with one another. Lunchtime is a time to relax and recharge. Alex heads to the canteen to meet with the head of year to have lunch. But through Plato's insights, Alex's friends are also ushered into the same space. Before long, Alex is back to normal data readings and can continue working at optimal levels for the week. The canteen itself is equipped with AI systems that monitor food quality and safety, ensuring that the students are eating healthy and nutritious meals. What's more, Plato's cousin, Ramsey, reads the personal data that each student brings into the school building and provides the exact nutrition that said student requires to fulfil hunger and provide the optimal level of nutrition for the afternoon's learning. The afternoon lessons begin with a history class where the students place a virtual lens and step back in an augmented reality of historic time to learn about past events and civilizations. The teacher uses Plato to provide a rich and engaging learning experience, taking on the role of historical figures, bringing the subject to life. The students are encouraged to think critically and to ask questions, and the teacher provides guidance and support modelling to the students on how a 21st century learner interacts with the past. The final lesson of the day is science, specifically biology. The students work together with their teacher and Plato, the AI assistant, to delve into the intricacies of life and the wonders of the natural world. As they conduct experiments, collect data and observe the results, Plato provides instant analysis and interpretation of their findings. The students are amazed by the insights and discoveries they make and are inspired to pursue careers in science and technology. The teacher guides them through each step, with Plato providing additional support and answering any questions they may have. With its cutting-edge technology, Plato is able to process vast amounts of information and data at lightning speed, allowing the students to understand complex scientific concepts with ease. The class is a dynamic and interactive experience as students work together with the teacher and Plato to explore the boundaries of knowledge and push the frontiers of scientific discovery. At the end of the lesson, the students leave the classroom feeling inspired and motivated, eager to continue their journey of learning and discovery in the exciting field of science and technology. At the end of the day, students walk home, reflecting on all that they have learned and experienced. They are grateful for the support and guidance they've received from their teachers and Plato, and they look forward to continuing their education 
in years to come. Sounds scary, I'm sure, for those still listening. But it's not too far off, at least I don't think. I had an interesting conversation with a PE teacher not so long ago, talking about the future of um, a sports field that's being developed with my current school. Um, there is a possibility that, you know, we may invest in artificial lawnmowers, um, automated lawnmowering systems, you know, taking the need away from the groundskeeper to go out and, you know, trim the grass. There'll be sensors that are placed on the on the lawnmowers themselves, these huge beasts that of machines that will activate at times when there are no children inside of the school and they will cut the lawns, they will mow the lawns for you automatically without being prompted, dispose of the grass cuttings. It'll be cut so often that they'll be like fed back into the ground, which is great for the for the grass itself. Um and then they'll take themselves back to the shed, put themselves away. That's just a you know, that's something that's already being sold or at least been attempted to be sold to schools. Um, you know, that's just this, you know, that's not an example within this specific scenario plan. Um, but lots of what there, the technology already exists. It's then what we're talking about in this scenario is how it is being applied within the classroom. Um, you know, we will stop for the news, but I will just finish off this scenario. Now, the scenario that I've painted there raises very important questions to us it raises very important questions about the future of learning and the future of our sector some of the questions that the scenario raises include for example how will ai change the way that we learn and educate in the future how can ai help bridge the skills gap in the workforce what are the ethical implications of relying on ai in education and what measures can be taken to ensure the safe and responsible implementation of AI in our sector? And finally, how can educators and education leaders best prepare for the future of AI in education? By considering these questions, we can use this scenario of AI in education to plan for the future and to ensure that the implementation of AI is ethical, responsible and equitable. The future of education is rapidly changing and it is important for leaders in the field to stay ahead of the curve by considering the potential impacts of AI and other emerging technologies. After the news, we're going to answer some of these questions and hopefully draw some conclusions as to what type of leader and how AI will affect the sector. Okay. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has addressed school leaders at the Church of England National Education Conference. In a speech that recognised the achievements of Church of England schools and of teachers and leaders in schools across the country, 
She defined education as something that lets you do things you couldn't beforehand. She also reflected on her own experiences of being educated in a faith school, although it was a different denomination, Catholic. She spoke about the importance of a faith which is still a core part of who I am and recognised the work of faith schools, particularly Anglican schools, and the role they play in educating young people. She described the Church of England as one of my department's most valued partners, as the largest provider of academy trusts. Ms Keegan went on to say that her department would protect the schools so that when they became academies, they retained the statutory freedoms and protections that apply to church schools. She also used the speech to comment on standards and said, I agree with the Prime Minister on maths to 18 and praised a former teacher of hers, Mr Ashcroft, who helped her realise my one opportunity. The speech was not without reference to planned industrial action by teachers in the National Education Union, when she commented that for teachers to have an impact, they need to be in school, and stated that we will be funding schools in real terms at the highest level in history. The speech closed with a statement that her door is always open, but asked that you now work with me to keep as many children in schools as possible during the disruptive strike action. Ms Keegan ended with a focus on collaboration to make sure our education system flourishes for all children. Half of state schools in England and Wales will close on Wednesday as a result of the planned industrial action, according to reports in many media outlets. The action by NEU coincides with that being taken by civil servants, university staff and train drivers. While schools may close, many will remain open to pupils identified as vulnerable or at risk, as well as some schools offering places to the children of critical workers. The latest data from the Higher Education Statistics Agency shows that the number of EU students choosing to study in the UK has dropped by half since the UK left the EU. Enrolments by EU nationals dropped by 53%, from around 64,000 to 31,000 between 2020 and 2022. Whilst the number of non-EU nationals did increase at the same time period, the data shows that the UK universities still faced significant shortfalls. The exit from the EU and the changing international fee policy saw EU student fees rise from around £9,000 to as high as 38,000. The decline has been particularly sharp in student numbers from Italy, Germany and France. Similar falls have been seen in Scotland, with many mourning the demise of the EU's Erasmus scheme, as well as the loss of diversity brought to courses by students from the EU. Universities UK said the changes in numbers had dented the finances of some universities and impoverished campus life. The HuffPost featured an article focusing on new data which shows that 87% of teenagers want better and more inclusive sex education. The survey by student discount app Student Beans found that 39% did not feel represented in the sex education they received. 27% of girls surveyed admitted they did not feel comfortable setting and communicating boundaries with a partner, compared to 23% of male respondents. 89% of all respondents said they did not see LGBTQIA themes in the teaching. With Generation Z having the highest percentage of non-straight people, almost double that of millennials, perhaps it's time for another review.
Finally, Schools Week focuses on Ofsted's announcement on how it will conduct thematic reviews of alternative provision. Visits will take place in the spring and summer terms, with a national report out in the autumn. The visits will not result in judgments and the report will not identify local areas specifically, although they will be listed separately. There will be a focus on how AP supports children to stay in mainstream and full details are available on the Schools Week website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about GDPR, an acronym that has bounded around and caused quite a stir when it was first introduced back in 2018. GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation and it's governed by the ICO, which is the Information Controller's Office, an independent body set up by the government to uphold information rights. Ah, thanks Steve, that's crystal clear now, I hear you say. What does it mean to a general classroom teacher. Well, your school will have a policy, which you will have signed somewhere to say you've read it. If you haven't, it might be worth taking a look. In it, there'll be an outline of measures to protect data and usually a process of investigation in the event of a data breach. A data breach in a school is when personal data is compromised and a person can be identified, for example, first name and last name. In a school, Breaches can be as serious as the introduction of ransomware where data is locked by a cyber attack or as simple as the wrong letter being sent to the wrong carers. Now the question is how do we protect ourselves? First, if you're still wandering around with the USB pen hanging off your lanyard, make sure it's encrypted. There is lots of free encryption software around. If you can, migrate your data into the school's cloud. This puts the owners back on the school to keep the data safe. It's also backed up regularly. I know what you'll say next. If I'm in the cloud and the internet goes down, I can't get my planning. Yes, you're correct, but your school laptop will be encrypted, so you can save current files locally to enable working offline. If you have a machine with a small memory like a Chromebook, sync what you need and leave the rest in the cloud. With the top ads on a search for school data breach, all reading claim around £10,000 today. Obviously, no win, no fee. Do you want to cost your school that much money? I'll leave you with this. If you take a digital register and display it while you take it, could it be classed as a data breach. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This. Okay, so in the spirit of Khan, let's use the scenario that we've just discussed to embrace such questions. So, first question, how will AI change the way we learn and educate in the future? One potential benefit is that AI can help personalise learning and provide individualised support for the students, as discussed in the scenario. This can improve their overall academic performance and engagement with course material. It can also provide teachers with more data-driven insights into their students' strengths and weaknesses, allowing them to target their teaching strategies more effectively. If you think this is pure sci-fi, then think again. It's already happening in schools across the world. One prime example of this is the Carnegie Learning's Mathia software. This cutting-edge technology uses AI to personalise math instruction for K-12 students. For us Brits, K-12 indicates all key stages throughout the US education system. K standing for kindergarten to grade 12. Now, 
K-12 students, you know, the, the, the Mathia software adapts to each student's unique learning style and pace. Um, this means that students get the individualised attention they need to truly grasp math concepts and excel in their studies. Now, Mathia is currently being used in schools and classrooms across the United States, helping students to achieve better outcomes in math and to gain the skills and confidence they need to succeed in the future. Um, it's also being trialled, I think, in Canada, in Australia, um, as well. So, you know, this is an AI system that is already having good feedback um, and, and fed into it. But it's important to note that this isn't the panacea. Like, it isn't that this is driving, you know, purely driving the success within the maths curriculums. You know, there could be a whole range of factors, including leadership, um, teaching and learning policy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there has been good feedback toward it. You know, whether you're an educator or a parent or simply someone who's interested in the future of education, you know, this is quite an exciting development that I don't think we would want to miss out on. You know, just imagine that we have a world of students that's, you know, move far further ahead with mathematics um, as in one country, but in other countries they don't. And you're going to have this huge disparity between the two um the, the two countries anyway but that's not all um, we also have in india byju's learning app which has been used to provide high quality education for masses of the population that previously have had limited access to it byju's learning app is a leading education technology company that offers online learning programs for students across the world um, and the app utilizes ai technology to provide personalized learning experience to students of different age groups and learning styles now Byju's uses AI algorithms to analyze student performance, strength, uh, performance strengths, weaknesses and learning patterns. Now, the app can adapt to the student's learning pace, providing customized content questions and to practice problems. Now, one of the key features of the Byju's app is its adaptive learning system, which adjusts the difficulty level of content based on the student's progress. This is interesting because it helps, again, to keep students engaged and motivated while ensuring they are challenged enough to continue learning and improving. In addition to its personalised learning, it also offers a wide range of study materials, including videos, interactive simulations and practice problems. Now, this is all taught by experienced teachers and cover a wide range of subjects, including math, science, social studies and more. And all that is needed to access the Baidu Learning App is a smartphone and a connection to the Internet. Again, granting highly personalised learning to a global audience that sometimes have been forgotten and left behind as the world progresses forward. So on one hand, AI can provide personalised learning experience and increase accessibility to education for students, as in the Baidu app and the Mathia apps there. Um, but um, we find, you know, yeah, it's more, we find that it's accessing to remote areas and undeserved areas, should I say. Um, you might find that AI-powered online Platforms like Baidu's Learning App can offer courses and education materials to students who might not have access to physical schools. Um, however, there is also that risk that AI could exacerbate existing inequalities in the education system. That's what I was trying to get out of my mouth there. Apologies. Um, if AI algorithms are not carefully designed and tested for bias, then what we'll find is that they may perpetuate discriminatory pr practices and reinforce existing socioeconomic 
disparities. Additionally, there is the risk that AI may not be accessible or usable for all students, particularly those from low income or minority backgrounds. I know we spoke about this last week. You know, if you have this digital literacy on using and preparing students within uh, for chatbots, for example, from more affluent backgrounds, and those poorer backgrounds don't have the same level of digital digital literacy on how to use chatbots to further their own learning then obviously you're going to have the gap widen even more there. And I think that is an ethical concern that we have or we should be planning for in terms of educators. Now, to mitigate these risks, it's important that we ensure that the implementation of AI in education is guided by principles of fairness, transparency and accountability and that its benefits are distributed equitably across different populations. You know, that's I'm, I'm really going to stress that because we already know that there is a gap between, you know, non-PP and PP students, for example, just imagine how that gap will widen as and when students um, begin to utilise, say, ChatGPT to further their own learning. Those that have access to it, those that have the knowledge, those that know how to use the AI will be the ones that further advance themselves. And those that do not, not for any sake of their own um, their, their own selves, but perhaps because of the circumstances, the context upon which they live in, will be left behind. Now, the second question we discussed was how can AI help bridge the skills gap in the workforce? You know, I mentioned this earlier with the reference to the PE lawnmower um, that will mow the lawns. You know, that's not necessarily a skills gap in the workforce, um, but it is a, a possible solution to restrict the workload. What we're talking about, though, is that obviously within the workforce, there is a huge gap of employment. You know, currently schools are looking for teachers left, right and centre. There doesn't seem to be enough of us around, apparently. Um, anyway, artificial intelligence can help bridge the skills gap in the education workforce by providing teachers with tools and resources to better personalise instruction, adapt to the needs of the individual students and meet the demands of a rapidly changing technological landscape. AI algorithms can analyse student data, providing teachers with insights into student performance, learning styles and areas of weakness. This can help educators create customised learning plans and tailor instruction to meet the needs of each student. AI-powered technology can also automate repetitive tasks, and free up teachers' time to focus on more meaningful and impactful activities. If you haven't already done so, you know, jump onto my LinkedIn. I've written some interesting articles on how I've utilised ChatGPT, for example, to free up time. One such activity was the planning and delivering of an assembly, which usually would take me anywhere between two to three hours to um, organise and plan. Um, it took seconds to do it via um, chat gpt and it wasn't doing it for me it was merely collaborating with me to reach the end goal which was a which was an amazing assembly but i've also used it for example teaching drama you know this is a new subject for me um, i'm teaching it this year i don't really have the expertise and subject knowledge that i should have as many performing artists do um, and i've been using chat gpt pretty much on a daily basis to get ideas, to feed me the information, to help direct the time in the drama studio, which is a very different lesson structure to an English lesson. I can tell you that um, to get to a point where those drama lessons are highly effective. And I've seen my teaching uh, practice improve there. So it does free up that time. You know, I would be spending hours planning those drama lessons to make sure that they are of the highest quality. It can be done in seconds now for me with that collaboration with the chatbot there. Now, AI platforms, you know, they can grade assignments as well. Um, it could provide immediate feedback and even help teachers evaluate student progress over time. Now, currently I'm using Arbor, uh, not Arbor, that's the 
registration software, although that's in itself is a brilliant automated system with lots of machine learning to come, I think. Uh, but I'm using Formative at the moment for my student assessments, and I'm setting up systems where they are automatically marked and fed back to the students, freeing up my time as an educator to then work perhaps on developing my curriculums and my lesson planning. Now, with these tools, teachers are better equipped to support students' success and ensure that each student is on the right path to achieve their academic goals. Now, by leveraging AI, schools and universities can also equip the education workforce with the necessary skills and training to stay ahead of the curve. AI can be used to deliver targeted professional development, allowing teachers to develop the knowledge and skills they need to succeed in an increasingly technology-driven world. Um, this can help bridge the skills gap, ensuring that the education workforce is equipped to meet the evolving needs of students and help them achieve their full potential. There is a skills gap. The skills gap will widen. You know, it talks about staying ahead of the curve there. I refer to this, uh, actually not myself, it was actually a college lecturer, a university lecturer, Dr. Trevor Mao, refers to this as the train of progress. You know, if we do not board that train of progress as it boards into the station, um, as it pulls into the station, if we don't board this train of progress, it's going to go and it will be gone. And there'll be no other trains that we can use to catch up on because the advancements are so fast that it's going to be very, fairly difficult to, to maintain that, that, that pace of change. Now, ChatGPT, we've mentioned as a language model, it can play a significant role in bridging the skills gap in education workforce. It's an advanced ability to understand and respond to human language. Um, it can be used to automate repetitive and time-consuming tasks, which we've discussed. It frees up valuable time for us as educators and, and helps us focus on high-level tasks, such as the personalization of student learning experiences and developing and new, new curriculums. Um, it can be used to advance teacher training by providing AI-powered support for teachers in areas such as lesson planning, assessment, student engagement, something that I'm very interested in, how I can utilise that in my teacher training sessions for the future. Um, for example, ChatGPT can be integrated into teacher training programmes to generate those personalised lesson plans. Um, you know, I, it is an area that I'm incredibly interested in, and I believe that AI, as I've said, is not going away. And it is going to be there and we can utilize this to help bridge the skills gap. But that does not mean that is ethically accurate. It doesn't mean that morally we should do it. And this you know, brings us to our third question, which is what are the ethical implications of relying on AI in education? Because it sounds brilliant. Yeah, chatbot, this can do all the work for us. It can plan our assemblies. It can plan our lessons. You know, it can plan those teacher training programs. It can personalize the learning. It can do practically everything for us. But we must be, you know, consider those ethical implications and the use of AI in education. It does raise a number of challenges. And this is what we need to do as educational leaders um, in order you know, to, to, to navigate these, the, the, these um, implications. You know, we need to be careful in our considerations. Uh, and these challenges, they include, for example, the bias and discrimination that AI algor algorithms um, that may reflect and amplify. On, on the existing biases and discriminations within society. Um, it might perpetuate the inequality in, in education more so. Um, you know, there's also the issue of lack of transparency. You know, the algorithms that are set up, they're considered to be like the black boxes that sit behind making those decisions for us. Um, and quite often, it might be difficult for my, you know, educators ourselves, students and parents to understand how these decisions are being made. You know, this lack of transparency raises concerns around accountability and trust. You know, it's that whole computer says no syndrome. You know, it says computer says no. 
So then we look and think, well, why has the computer said no? And then you look at the scores of data. We are not going to be able to figure that out. So we have to be very sure, very careful, and be very transparent with the systems that we set up as educators. Otherwise, we risk that whole system set up where you know, decisions are made without our knowledge as to how they were made. Uh, the third issue that we might face is data privacy. Um, if you didn't listen to the scenario in the last segment, um, there were huge, huge, and I know we've listened to the technology news as well, which mentions the G GTB, uh, GBT, I can't say it right now, um, GDPT um, laws within um, within businesses and within education. Data privacy is hugely, hugely important. And the use of AI in education will often involve the collection and processing of large amounts of student data. You know, we need to ensure that that data is collected, stored and used in ethical and responsible manners. And it's basically crucial to maintaining student privacy. You know, you know, the dystopian version that I had set up perhaps is taking it a step too far. You know, reading the emotional states of our teens perhaps is a step beyond what we should be doing as educators. But in the interest of pushing for the top possible results, maybe that is something that we should consider doing. I don't know. I'm not here to decide. That's down to policy writers um, and perhaps government. Uh, number four is job displacement. You know, there is a concern that AI could lead to job displacement for educators, especially if the technology is used to automate certain tasks or make decisions about student learning. Now, whether this happens or not, whether it replaces teachers, we don't know. Um, I see it as a future of collaboration with AI. There will be highly specialised teachers you know, that are at the top of their field working in education. And then you might find that schools don't necessarily need to employ as many teachers that are um, able. But that, you know, that that's that's, again, something that we don't know, but it's something to consider. You know, what if there is job displacement? What happens then to those teachers that aren't, are no longer needed within the sector? Uh, unintended consequences of AI, as with many new technologies, there's always the potential for unintended things to happen. For example, AI could have a negative impact on student motivation or creativity if it's overly focused on the rote of learning or the standardized testing you know we don't know how the newer generations will react to this you know in the 1960s do you think the american government knew that the cult the cult countercultural revolution was you know going to take hold you know we have this idea this vision of a status quo but we can never be sure how younger generations will respond to these so it's very important to you know consider the unintended consequences there um, there's the cost of implementing AI in education, you know, it can be incredibly expensive, especially for schools or districts that um, are already struggling with limited resources. You know, I like to, you know, look at that gap between private education and state funded schools. Does this, is it fair then perhaps that the private sector may um, adopt AI systems, furthering and enhancing the uh, experience of education for those that can afford to go to private school, whereas those in state schools are left with a mediocre um, experience. You know, how wide will that gap be produced if some students in our country are using AI software to improve their learning and others do not have access to that, widening that gap again? We have privacy concerns linked into the data there. If we incorporate AI systems, it raises concerns regarding privacy. You know, again, it's collecting that data, that, that data from the students. Um, but, you know, there are perhaps issues and concerns as to whoever owns that data and how it will be used. You know, if we collect data on students, if we collect data on parents, if we collect data of staff, 
who is in own, who owns that data is it does it belong to the school the institution does it belong to society does it belong to the individual but these are questions really that we should be asking ourselves as a species and this is where we need philosophers coming into the debate it's not just for educators to decide this we need you know personally i feel that every school on every senior leadership team should have a resident philosopher who is there to give that weighted opinion, that ethical stance, the moral values that are bring to the uh, bring to the table. Um, perhaps there are philosophy uh, students out there or philosopher, philosophy teachers that are ready to take on these roles. I don't know. But personally, I think that would be a good, sh- good shout. Now, the final one would be the lack of research and evidence that currently is out there. Now, whilst AI has the potential to greatly impact education, there is a lack of research and evidence on its effectiveness and impact. Um, And this can make it difficult for educators and policymakers to make informed decisions about the use of AI in education. It's great that we're talking about it today. And it's great that we're adopting some of the technology. But there needs to be research. There needs to be evidence. Because if we are just going gun ho and, and, you know, employing the use of these technologies just here, there and everywhere, without thinking about research, without thinking about the evidence-based approach, then that could um, lead to drawbacks further down the line. So they are our ethical implications within. Um, So now let's talk about what measures then can be taken to ensure that the safe and responsible implementation of AI in education is is, uh, uh, safe. So what are these measures? Now, there are several measures that can be taken to ensure the safe and responsible use of AI. Uh, And here are these considerations. We've got data privacy and security. The AI algorithms require large amounts of data to work effectively, as discussed. It's important that we ensure that this data is collected and stored in a way that respects student privacy and is secure from potential breaches. You know, any given school is already adopting the policies to do this. You know, data should be protected Um, to protect against bias or any unfairness that might happen. um, As we know, AI algorithms can perpetuate and amplify those existing biases and discrimination, and if not designed and implemented carefully, um, it is important to consider the data used to train these algorithms and to ensure that it is diverse and representative, and to regularly evaluate the outcomes of the AI systems to ensure that they are done so in a fair and unbiased way. For example, you know, we don't just want white middle-aged men writing the code um, per se for these AI systems. We want to ensure that multiple voices are included within the programming again it's going back to that first show where we spoke about you know we better be damn sure we know what we want from the ai before we go and open that box that um, pandora opened you know make sure that we have considered exactly what goes into it um in regard to teacher and administrator administrator training um this is a particular issue because obviously there are lots of teachers in the sector that already struggle perhaps with the adoption of technology you know just even using um, laptops, etc., could be, you know, potentially challenging for, for for some teachers. And to suddenly then shift over to using artificial intelligence, there needs to be, you know, training and support to ensure that they are equipped to use these technologies effectively and ethically. Um, you know, you don't want teachers saying, right, do your homework, there you go. Or a teacher sitting in a classroom saying, right, I'm not teaching you today. There's the AI software, crack on with it. That's that's not necessarily a good thing. So something that we can do to um, limit the impact of AI in the sector is just by providing the appropriate training and having the discussion. I think that takes takes us back to this kind of issue of, you know, actually talking about it and having it 
transparently discussed around you know middle leadership tables or senior leadership tables or with your staff so that you know that it's an active part of our our, our practice um in in respect to transparency you know something that we can do as well um is just make sure that it is transparent to everybody you know all stakeholders that are involved you know for policy writers you know it should be absolutely clear to governors to trustees to parents to students how the ai systems will be used in the future if they are being used or even if they are um, perhaps being banned as in some schools in the US currently have decided to take the approach which is in the long view possibly counterproductive understandably they're banning the use of such chat GPT etc because obviously the, the risk it poses to you know um, academic honesty um, but equally you know they're uh, there needs to be a conversation, perhaps uh, some, some policy written around the use of this as opposed to just outright banning it. Imagine, for example, if Plato in his age just banned writing, um, we wouldn't be in the society we live in today. Finally, there is the regulation and oversight. As AI becomes increasingly integrated into education, it's important to have that appropriate um, regulations and oversight to ensure that it's done so properly. Um, you know, I, we won't have time to discuss the last question, but I think it is really just about, you know, in terms of educators and education leaders preparing for the future in education, it's all very much about staying informed. The fact that you're tuned into this broadcast is telling me straight away that you are keeping informed in this progressive field of um, society and in, in the sector itself. You know, you are building an AI literacy that you will hopefully share with your staff. You know, if you partner with AI experts, join those machine learning um, groups on social media, you'll learn about the, the, the machines and learn about the AI that's currently out there in the world. And I think, you know, just a closing message to you all is just embrace this new technology. You know, as I've said several times through the show, AI is here to stay. You know, it is not going away. We as educationalists are not necessarily utilising this new technology as we should, as with other businesses and other sectors across the world. And I'm going to finish on William Gibson's quote once more. You know, the future is already here. It is just not evenly distributed. And it is our turn as educationalists to distribute this AI software within our sector, but in an ethically and morally sustainable way so that it does not taint or destroy the sector that we love and cherish so much. So on those words, I will close the show. Um, hopefully you'll hear from me again in the future. I don't know if I've done a good job here or not. I hope I have. Um, so I'll leave you to it. Have a lovely weekend. Good evening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This is Teaching.